The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I am a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA, and I am a mom of three girls. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm an engineer. I'm the father of three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Awesome. And you are also the winner of the Skinny Turkey 10K, correct? That is correct. So we, <laughs> that is correct. Take so, that, other skinny turkey runners. We got the champion on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. So, how'd it go, man? Congrats. You, you hadn't run a 10K in a while. We said we were going to follow up with it. We want to hear one about how the race went and what it was like to run a 10K for the first time in more than 15 years. And two, were you in fact laid out for like a week the way that Michelle said you would be? Okay, so one, uh, <laughs> the race was interesting, right? Um, I can't start without mentioning that Melissa and Grace ran the half marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that too. And Grace won her age group as she kind of is getting used to with the ultra marathons. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Melissa came in third for her age group. Um, they did run together um, and I, they enjoyed it. So I think that was a grand, grand success right there. Awesome. Um, the, the 10K went well, I would say. Um, I, uh, as I spoke with you earlier or texted with you earlier, no, we actually talked because while we were riding on Saturday, we talked about this. That's right. Um, the, uh, it, I looked at the race results before the race for the past couple of years. It looked like if I ran a solid run, I could end up on the podium. I did not realize that from the time the gun went off until the finish, I would be in the front of the race. <laughs> uh, literally um, from the time uh, the guy said start, I was chasing the lead motorcycle for the whole race. Cool. And, um, in in some ways yes very cool i've never been in that situation it was just kind of neat it's a small local race um but it was it was neat and it was energizing uh and the way the course was laid out it wasn't like i was by myself the whole time because one it was an out and back and two that course was interlaced with the half marathon course so i got to pass by melissa and grace and i got to finish with all the 5k runners which that was kind of interesting also, but <laughs> um, I would say that it was fun. Um, we, we talked about, you know, am I going to be destroyed at the end of the race? Uh, no, I was not destroyed. I was tired. Um, I was not destroyed, but it wasn't because I'm in some phenomenal 10 K shape or anything. Um, about at, at about one and a half miles in, I uh, started feeling a little tent, a little um, strain in the back of my left leg. And I think this is a, this is coming from the right hip injury and still getting out of that and maybe compensating for it. So I backed it down a little bit and I just sort of coasted in. I think the comment I said to somebody after it was at that point in the race, I felt like the only way I wasn't going to win is if I injured myself and turned it into a race with the second place guy. Um, I, I literally did not see him until the turnaround. He ran a, a great race. Uh, he chased me down in the last uh, three miles, you know, coming back to the finish, but uh, he just didn't have enough to catch me. And um, we talked briefly after the race. He, he was really excited. Uh, it was fun, like I said. Um, and I got a little certificate that I've shown you. First place runner, <laughs> first place overall. That's, that's the first time that's ever happened for me also. So that was pretty cool. That's the first time you've ever um, won a race. That's not true. You've won that 50 miler before. I guess that is right. This is the first time I've ever run a road, won a road race. Oh, that's cool, man. Well done. 
So yeah, so it was fun. It was fun. I, I, I will, I will just pass that one little kind of funny tidbit was, I thought it was kind of cool that this guy in a Harley was out there because it's an open course and he's out there sort of vanguarding for me. Um, but um, when he's out there vanguarding for you at a low idle on his Harley, uh, you're sucking <laughs> exhaust fumes for 6.2 miles. Yeah. Uh, even that the last mile was mostly uphill. And uh, I was, yeah. So I got a little tired of that. It was nice when he pulled off in the last point two. So, but that was, that was interesting. I, I would not give up the experience. Uh, it was fun. Cool, man. Well done. Congrats. Michelle, how was your, uh, how was your turkey trot? How was your half marathon? Um, I mean, it's fun to go out, I think here and run the Thanksgiving day half marathon. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing since Boston, a little bit of running. Um, I thought I would see how I felt trying to go fast, but I ran a mile and didn't feel so good. So I just kind of, uh, pulled back a little bit and enjoyed the course. They made a few changes. I think everyone who's run this race knows at the end, you always get stuck taking a left on Mitchell street and running up this massive hill by the Capitol. And they cut that out of the race. So you only kind of realized it when you were going uh, and the Capitol was on the right and Mitchell street was on the right. And you're already at the top of the hill going down to the Olympic rings to the finish line. Um, so this, even the finish was different than 2019, 2019, they brought us in the stadium. This time we took a right before the stadium. So I thought, you know, it was a good crowd showing. Um, I guess with the wave starts, there were people just, you know, much faster people just constantly passing you the whole time. So I'm sure for those people that started at a later time that were running pretty fast, they spent most of their time weaving in and out of the slower people, but uh, we spent a lot more time in Piedmont Park than we usually do, which was really nice also. And the weather was perfect. So uh, I was pretty happy come 5 p.m. when we sat down that, you know, I'd run for gone for a two hour run that morning about the time you sat down is about the time I was going out for my own personal Thanksgiving run which was about three hours after Thanksgiving dinner yeah what were you thinking exactly not recommended <laughs> why did you do that um I eight did miles that. Yeah, I I did that because I couldn't run that morning for a couple of different reasons. Um, and and then, um, but I wanted to still run that day. Um, and and we have Thanksgiving dinner around lunchtime, and so I wasn't able to run that morning. And then we we uh, had Thanksgiving dinner at lunchtime, and then if I was going to run, it had to be there in the evening, just before, uh, just you know, three hours after Thanksgiving dinner. So so yeah, that first mile was pretty uncomfortable. Um, did you eat anything less? at noon ish no, because no, you were going to run later. No. no, I didn't drink any oh. alcohol. I normally don't anyway. Um, but I particularly didn't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that was not a lot of fun. I did resolve and not because I was so bloated in the first mile of my run. I did resolve though, that, that, um, just looking at y'all's pictures and everybody else's pictures on Facebook of having run on the most popular road racing day of the year yeah, in the fun. United States, um, <laughs> that I need to do something every Thanksgiving morning. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason why I didn't, I was actually signed up for a race, but I didn't want to go out and just sort of jog through this race. And I didn't really feel fit enough or, or mentally prepared to go out and really push myself through this race. Um, and so I didn't do it. I should have, I should have signed up for the half marathon and jogged through it or something. Like, yeah, like, it was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really, and so, so I, 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 I've resolved that from now on, I need to be a better role model for my sons and, and go out on Thanksgiving morning and just make that the way that our family starts Thanksgiving is that daddy's running a race. 
um, whether I'm running it hard or whether I'm running it easy or whatever it happens to be. Like I just, I just need to make that a part of it from now on. Um, so I look forward to that in 2022. Um, even though I definitely will not be racing in 2022 because I will have done some number of marathons in late September and early October. Um, and so, That's the so, legend. so we will see, <laughs> so we will see, we will see. Um, I am going to be doing a jingle jog. I just signed up for the sleigh bells in the square, uh, 5k next weekend here in Marietta, Georgia, which I will look forward to. Um, and I'm sure that it will pale in comparison in terms of competitiveness and, and overall epicness, um, to uh, uh when 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 compared to the the uh jingle jog that y'all you're doing this saturday right eric that is correct mm -hmm. jingle jog our, our company north carolina electric cooperatives uh all gets together for the it's an arthritis foundation run mm -hmm. uh, so we all get together well those of us who want to run and then blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, our friend of the podcast lee ragsdale is competing against his 18 year old son owen uh, who is an accomplished swimmer. And that's what we want to know about. That's where we're ready to rumble. Uh, Eric, give us your final prediction. Cause you've gone back and forth on this one, man. Um, yeah, there's an update to that that you haven't heard yet. What is it? <laughs> Tell us. Owen, Owen has stepped out of the race and, uh, Owen! He commitment. He has a swimming commitment. Oh, he, he can he swim later, but but that does not mean that Lee doesn't have others that he can compete against within the company. So I, it's still going to be a race. You're talking about yourself now? Say again? You're talking about yourself, others that he can compete against inside the company? Uh, there, there are other runners in the company as well. Um, oh, so, man. So much yeah, I know. for it's everything I just said about the epic nature of the event. So, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just tune, in, tune in tune in next week for for the update on sleigh bells in the square so uh. <laughs> um george why don't you do the polar bear run if you want something you're talking about the one in january oh polar bears in january so yeah you're talking about the one that's oh, okay. near where you grew up right in east yeah, johnson ferry baptist yeah. yeah it's in january it's oh, in i don't january. know why i thought it was december yeah so, it's um i've run that race three times um i i, I won it once um, and, and I ran it with my brother-in-law, who's now a freshman in college a couple of years ago when he wanted to do his first ever 5k, I ran with him. Um, cause I thought it be, it's a really good course just for a yeah. first 5k. Um, and, uh, and that's a great race. Um, I like that race. Um, that's an example of a race I wouldn't show up for unless I was ready to run or, oh, I, I, was, you know, or I was, or I was right running with my, my brother-in-law in his first 5k. So, sure. so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think the next race that I'm really going to, to hopefully be ready to throw down for is going to be the half marathon in Atlanta in late February. So looking forward to that. Um, Eric, you still on track with the 50 mile you're doing next weekend for your birthday? Yep. yep. So uh, day after my birthday, uh, Grace and I are going to run the beast of the East 50 miler uh, Saturday morning. So we're all geared up for that. Um, it remains to be seen whether I'm going to take that as a race or I'm going to be the mule uh, for Grace. Uh, just based on the the hip recovery, it's not going as as smoothly as I was hoping. So we'll we'll see. But either way, we're going to go out there. We're going to run 50 miles. Okay, tell me this. I feel like if your hip is not in great shape, running 50 miles with grace is not going to be good for it either. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I yeah. Mean, and 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 by the look on Michelle's face, I feel that she agrees. <laughs> I don't really have an argument for that. I don't, I don't 
<laughs> all right. All right. Very good. Um, let's talk about a couple of uh, a couple of things that we talked a little bit about last week that, that have some updates for them. One of them is the Puma Faster. And we're gonna, are we going to call it the Faster? Is that what we've decided it's called? The Fast R? I mean, sure. I doubt it's the fast R, right? right? Don't you think it's the faster? I would think it's the faster, yeah. So the Puma Faster, which as as Eric pointed out, has far too few uh, uh, names to, to really be a good shoe. But we talked about the sort of weird teaser last week on Instagram uh, that Molly Seidel did. And evidently, we weren't the only people who were unsatisfied with that teaser because today on Instagram, Puma updated it. And what, Michelle? It looks interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they updated the shoe uh actually in front of a puma mm -hmm. there you go what do you think it they, looks like? they clearly were listening to our podcast last week we complained totally. that there were puppies not pumas we complained yeah. that the teaser was kind of weird and like everything we complained about they fixed i mean it reminds me a bit of the brooks like pure flow from a few years ago but it also has the sort of shape of like the alpha fly in a way with that kind of pointier front and then yeah. the kind of elf shoe look yeah uh, it goes like is it concave in like and then kind of back out at the heel i don't know it's it looks I mean, like it looks that fast. It, it also looks like that brooks aurora bl that like concept oh, yeah. shoe that they, that yeah. they put out this year that that the people who ran in it really liked it, but they only made like 500 of them or something. Um, but it's, it's literally like a concept shoe in the same way that you get like concept automobiles. Um, it looks kind of like that. So yeah, by all means, folks, Google it. Um, I think actually, the more I think about it, the more I am convinced that the Puma people did listen to our podcast because you saw the color that they debuted was our podcast color. That's right. Uh, the bright yellow fluorescent And they color. put a cat in the advertisement I'm versus saying. the puppies that we didn't like and or understand. I'm so saying, I'm saying I, I had no idea our power, but, but I need to start using that power for good. Um, so, so very good. So when's it coming out, Michelle? They said February. And again, they said limited release, which has everybody up in arms because most people can't even get the nitro deviate elite. Right. It wasn't, I mean, it's interesting to hear people complain about the limited release because I think, if Puma really wanted to not sell a lot of shoes, then they would do an actual limited release. But I think all these releases are actually limited just because of supply chain shortages. Mm. Um, like Kevin Hansen put out a tweet the other day that basically said everything that they've seen in terms of not being able to get shoes, you know, for their local stores up in Michigan, he thinks it's going to get much worse in the next six to 12 months and told people, if you have a shoe that you like, you should, you should get two pairs of them now like for Black Friday or before Christmas, because next year is going to be even worse. So okay. um, people are throwing a fit because Puma is saying limited release. But I think what Puma is saying is, hey, we just have the same problems everyone else has and mm. we can only make a few of them. But they're, they're, they're like rebranding supply chain issues as limited release. <laughs> limited release. <laughs> <laughs> not, not unclever. <laughs> I think it's a little bit ridiculous to think that any of these shoe companies actually only want to put out, you know, a small amount of shoes, especially with the popularity of the way the other ones sold out. But I don't know, maybe it's a marketing tactic. Who knows? Hey, if, if, if that is a, that is such a departure from the deviate shoe that yeah, I wouldn't it looks be totally different. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't want to come out with a huge release of shoes and have it be a nightmare. Hmm. I, I, I think the Deviate Nitro was super 
super successful and um especially on this podcast right right (laughs) this stuff goes into production like they're working on stuff for probably you know uh fall 2023 now so yeah i don't know it's weird if it's if they really wanted it limited but february so all right all right we'll see we'll see maybe by february i can get a pair of deviate nitro elites only if lee gives you his yeah when lee has like gigantic clown feet so probably not um <laughs> but that's the only reason why i was able to get him i hey, think but that's not funny oh wait you have gigantic clown feet too don't you that's <laughs> right the y'all, same that's right you're the same size we talked about how you wrecked his vapor flies that time yeah you, you you guys and your big feet anyway um uh did you see um about cooper tier as well so we talked about him last week and we talked about how he had to crawl at the finish of the NCAA cross country meet and about how, how that might've gained him a few more followers. I wonder it also if that gained him a <laughs> Nike contract. <laughs> I wonder if that had anything to do with the fact that he announced he's going pro today. <laughs> um, and so Cooper Tier, who has an NCAA championship on the track. Um, and so who you would think is more of a track runner than a cross country runner. He finished this cross country season and announced he's forgoing the remainder of his track career in order to go pro. Um, and I, I actually honestly do wonder whether his crawling and get a whole lot of attention at the NCAA cross country meet had anything to do with it. And if I was a total cynic, I would say maybe he staged the whole thing in order to try and, and, and get followers and, and set up his pro announcement. But I don't actually think that because I'm not a cynic, as you both know. Um, <laughs> but uh but it, it does be seem really odd stupid. to me that, so yeah, no kidding. <laughs> be really stupid. Um, it'd, it'd be pretty risky. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it does seem odd to me that, that he announced at the end of cross country season that he's forgoing track in order to go pro, but I guess that he figures that that's where his talent is. And so he wants to, rather than being forced to hold, run a whole bunch of NCAA races, he don't want to run that he can focus on the races he wants to focus on and, and the championships that he wants to be a part of. Um, so yeah. what do you think, Michelle? I'm surprised that he um, is turning pro right now, but, you know, I think he's got a tremendous future ahead of him. So if he felt like it makes me think that after this cross country season, whatever was being offered to him was already better than, you know, what he might've been offered after trials um, because whether he wanted to come back again or whether it was just slim pickings, um, you know, Connor Mance, I, I think we, he spoke about it, just looking to go pro versus going back to BYU. It, it looked better to just go back to school. So it just didn't seem like, you know, many people were signing people um, after <clears throat> last year over the summer. So I don't know. I mean, you know, you take, take what comes when it comes and especially if it looks good and you want to okay. stick with Nike. I mean, okay. So, so here, here's the other thing I don't quite get about it though, either is that, the Supreme court ruled earlier this year that, that college athletes could be paid um, sure. and, and that they could actually get things, get money for things that are not instructionally related. And as a result of that, the quarterback for the university of Alabama has like three to $4 million of the contracts right now as an undergrad then um, all sorts of football players. There's a, there's a, a billboard on my commute for a mattress company in Atlanta that has a university of Georgia offensive lineman on it. Um, and so, so Cooper tier could have continued to run the NCAA and had some sort of deal or contract with Nike. I don't understand yeah, why he still getting, has to go pro. You know, I don't think we're going to see the uh, college cross country and track runners 
profit as much from yeah, the NIL stuff as the college football and basketball players. I definitely agree with you on that. And that was one thing that I was concerned about that we talked about a little bit before um, on that too, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Um, did you all get your Spotify wrap up for the year yet? <laughs> I did. I got mine today. It's brilliant. You might be surprised or maybe not surprised to know that I spent more than 1700 minutes on Spotify listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. That's no surprise at all. <laughs> it was my number one podcast of the year. So is it bad that it wasn't my number one? Podcast? Yes. It's terrible that it wasn't your number one. Are you kidding? Well, to be fair, I switched everything from Apple podcasts to Spotify about six months ago. So okay. Spotify's podcast uh, data for me, I don't think it's very accurate. All right. We'll go with that. That sounds but the good. music stuff is pretty right on. So very good. Who was your who was your number one artist, Michelle? Taylor Swift again. Yes, it was mine too. How <laughs> For many, sure yours. So, so how many total minutes did you spend listening to Taylor Swift? Um, didn't I send you that? So did you? I'm not sure. Okay, hold on. Let me just find it. <laughs> I can't remember if I actually yes I did actually I listened to 3,417 minutes of Taylor Swift on Spotify this year it said I was in the top four percent of their listeners I was in the top one percent of Taylor Swift listeners booyah oh yeah I only listened to well I listened to 1,103 minutes of exile so Oops. very I nice that a lot <laughs> very nice very nice so they also set it up as eric's just looking at us like we're insane um <laughs> i i also said it uh, they also spotify they set up their their wrapped thing their their year-end wrap-up they set it up as if like this is a soundtrack for your own movie um, yeah and they said so the song that we're playing in the opening credits was a taylor swift song then the song that we were playing when you told your true love that you loved them out in the rain was a taylor swift song the song that was playing when you would be tearfully looking at your reflection in a pond was a taylor swift song <laughs> um what was your number two artist so my number two artist uh yeah. was my son's favorite artist um, and it's from playing their their playlist over and over and over and over again and as i think you oh, both gosh. know my son's favorite artist is abba oh yeah my we, my, my son's <laughs> listening to worry. abba we're, my we're son's listening to abba almost constantly um <laughs> and so that that was very easily my number two artist my number three was weezer which is a big surprise um number four oh, was I justin bieber i don't know how that happened um and then number five was pearl jam um my number one song who what was your number one song of the year michelle oh exile like there's number no one, comparison. The, the number the song though Oh, Exile. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the right. song, Exile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the song that would be playing for me as I was tearfully looking at my reflection in a pond. Um, my number one song of the year was Up by Cardi B. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I listened to that song 65 times this year. Chris. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How am I going to? You're the 1% for Taylor Swift. I want to yes, be the 1%. I am. Yes, you do. <laughs> My number two was Mumford and Sons, but it's so far uh, back, it doesn't even compare. What? So um, that is not a good number two. Yeah, what? They, 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 they would not be in my top anything. So Eric's going to leave the podcast if we don't stop talking about Taylor Swift. This is the <laughs> not, not even considering being part of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's, let's shift to somebody, that, uh, somebody that, that I like far less. Didn't you, uh, last thing we'll talk about here, didn't you purchase a new book this week, Michelle? <laughs> um, yes, I finally got my hands on a copy of 
uh, Elise Kopecky and Shalane Flanagan's third just released cookbook, uh, The Run Fast, Eat Slow, and then Run Fast, Cook Fast, Eat Slow. And this one is called Rise and Run. Um, thank you to whomever told me that it was in the book section of our local Target. Um, <laughs> Gavin was there on the phone with one of my, with Daniela trying to find something and I sent him a screenshot and was like, can you go to aisle G14 and see if this is actually there? <laughs> like, really sorry, it's across the store, but I want it right now. Um, anyway, so it's got like two dozen muffin recipes in it and it's mostly breakfast. But what I actually want to read is there nicely with our book of the quarter, George, um, because Shalane and Elise, well, Shalane mostly worked a lot with Brad Stolberg leading up to um, kind of the, maybe some of the top and final uh, performances of her professional career. So there's a lot in here that she pulls from his teachings on in his book as we're reading on groundedness. So um, I'm excited to not only like see the recipes, but just kind of read through and see how she actually incorporated a lot of this stuff into her life uh, with running, with being a mother, you know, with having a career. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. On don't what, worry. You don't have to have the cookbook. I know you don't page, like it. On what page is the breakfast pork burrito? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Uh, I mean, on, you know, it's these, on the Shelby days. Houlihan GoFundMe page. <laughs> Is this a segue or are we? <laughs> um, all right. Very good. You, you'll have to read it and let us know what you think of it. Um, and nice plug for the book of the quarter, um, Brad Stolberg's book, which we've uh, we've been texting about a little bit with one another. Um, but uh, I need to I need to. I need to commit myself to reading a little bit more over the course of the next short while here. But uh, if you haven't gotten it yet, do make sure that you uh, pick up Brad Stolberg's latest book and uh, and read that with us over the course of the next short while here. And one of our first podcasts in the new year will be, of course, going back over that book of the quarter and talking about the things that we learned from it. So um, look forward to that. Look forward to that. Um, all right. Um, let's talk about a real quick piece of research that I wanted to mention to everybody. Um, and then we're going to turn it over to Eric to talk all about uh, trail shoes and, and shoes for this entire uh, podcast, since we don't really talk enough about shoes on this podcast. And so we definitely want to make sure that we spend a little bit of time on that topic. But uh, uh, there was a piece of uh, uh, research that came out uh, just over the course of the past couple of weeks, and it was mentioned in the New York Times. Um, and so I went and actually read the research study and wanted to share it with everybody. But it was called Simple Body Weight Training Improves Cardiorespiratory Fitness with Minimal time commitment. Um, it was put out by a few different researchers, Archila, Bostad, Joyner, and Gibala um, from McMaster University and the Mayo Clinic, and it was published in the International Journal of Exercise Science. Um, and essentially what they wanted to see is whether doing body weight exercises, strength exercises um, in kind of a quick fashion, almost like high intensity interval training, um, whether that would actually improve your endurance over time. Um, there's plenty of stories or plenty of studies that are all about how running and doing interval training via running and that sort of thing could actually make a difference. But there wasn't a whole lot about whether body weight strength training could make a difference in your endurance. So what they did is they came up with a really short body weight exercise program. Um, and they said that you had to push it a little bit in order to do it. Um, and they took 20 people who were untrained and they randomized them up and they had half of them be a control group and half of them actually do the exercises. Um, and it was only 11 minute routine. Uh, it didn't require any commitment, uh, any equipment, any equipment. It did require commitment. 
Um, it didn't require any equipment. Um, and, and it said that you do one minute of easy jumping jacks to warm up, a minute of modified burpees, which is basically a burpee without the pushups, a minute of walking in place, a minute of high knee running in place, a minute of walking in place, a minute of split squat jumps, a minute of walking in place, a minute of high knee running in place again, a minute of walking place, a minute of squat jumps, um, and then one minute of walking place, walking in place to kind of cool down there at the end. Um, and what they found at the end, after six weeks, they'd had them do it three times a week. Um, and at the end of six weeks, they found that the exercises were more fit and they had upped their endurance by about 7% on average. Um, they had also grown their leg power slightly. And needless to say, perhaps the control group had no increase in leg power and no upping in their endurance. And so this is because the first they didn't exercise exactly exactly but <laughs> but but they showed that it wasn't just a matter of time passing that, that the people got stronger that that the intervention is probably likely to have actually created the change between the control group and the experimental group um and so so uh again a randomized controlled study that showed that a very small amount of strength exercise can actually have an effect on your endurance so uh kind of cool to see and if that's something that, that anybody is thinking about incorporating into their lives over the course of this transition season as we start looking ahead to 2022 here's some good scientific rationale for it all right switching gears totally tell us about some trail shoes eric so as we teased last week we're going to talk a little bit about trail shoes this week um, lots of people turned to the trails uh, during COVID. Um, Michelle and I tend to run off-road some. Uh, George occasionally runs out by uh, Kennesaw uh, Mountain National Park. Dude, I was a prolific trail runner until the pandemic. I'm the only person that like started running trails less often during the pandemic, and it's because I switched <laughs> to indoor stuff, but that's a whole well, other conversation. But um, one thing that I that I think is an interesting about trail shoes is they have a lot of tech that road shoes don't have. And there's a lot of differences between trail shoes and road shoes. And if you are just getting into this, or even if you've been doing it for a while and you have a pair of shoes that you like, it's probably good to get a little, you know, a little extra knowledge on what these different things are that trail shoes have, or what's the big difference between a trail shoe and a road shoe. So maybe help you make a better purchase. Um, it's, just like road shoes, it takes a while to find a trail shoe you like. Just like road shoes, there are 10 road or 10 trail shoes that could probably service your need. And just like road shoes, there are training trail shoes, there are rugged trail shoes, and there are race trail shoes. So we'll talk a little bit about all of that. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to throw a little surprise out there for George and Michelle. I came up with a little quiz for the two of you. Oh, shit. Right. I'm going to pit quiz. I'm here for it. Yep. I have uh, three questions. An and activity. A, three questions for each of you and a tiebreaker question if, if you guys uh, get oh, it's a trivia activity? Right. Yes. And, um, and we'll see who comes out on top. So I'm going to start with Michelle. So you get the first question, Michelle. So why would a trail shoe have a little Velcro spot on the back? For the gator and and, and for for those of you who are are not able to see which is all of you that sound you're hearing is eric actually pulling off the pair of trail shoes he's currently wearing and putting that very velcro to use okay wait i just want to give a disclaimer i am the type of person that knows a little bit of information about a lot of things but i don't know like really in depth about so i don't know that i can get these 
Because I don't know, like, how you scientific your say, questions are. I think you just are. got the first one right, though. You just got the first question right, though. Oh, good. Say it again. Because of course. I don't know Duh, what else would that yeah. be for? So the, uh, on the, I, the shoe I happen to have in my hand is the Ultra Lone Peak, and it has what they call the gator trap on the back, and there's a little piece of Velcro back there. Gator and the trap. point behind that piece of there. Velcro is, Michelle? If you wear, a lot of people wear gators on the trail. Keeps right. the dirt and stuff out of the shoe, out of the rocks. So it just secures it so that it keeps it over the top of the rim of the shoe. I don't, you know. That's right. Hey, oh. good. And sometimes they actually run up your leg because they're protecting your leg also. A little more robust than a sock. Generally keeps water out of your shoe from running down between your sock and your shoe. Also dirt because in a 50 mile race or even in a 20 mile race, one little pebble down in your shoe could become quite a yeah problem. i think mostly dirt and debris the, the small stuff the stuff that just gets in and you don't realize it till you're running on it and then you just want to shoot somebody <laughs> would you would you suggest that i wear gators in the trail race that i'm doing next weekend what trail race are you doing so the day after dirty the jingle jog i have a trail race dirty spokes at yargo what is it no no so our friend of the podcast uh tony hammett uh it has the red top 25k and i'm doing that next weekend I'm doing that next sunday Really? Yeah. I want to do that. So sign up, dude. Friend of the podcast. That's the main reason why I signed up was to support Tony when Peak Racing came back. Um, and uh, I actually signed up initially for the 50K. And then I wrote him an email last week and said, not ready for the 50K. How about the 25K? Speaking of which, today, by the way, was registration day, Eric, for Peyton's 10 by 5K. And uh, two people that we know that hear from the Atlanta area have signed up to be in it. So we'll talk about them a little bit more as we get closer to it in March. That's and also cool. Red Top Rumble registrations open. But let's keep going with the quiz because I'm winning so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question, the next question goes to George. So George, um, roundabout how many carbon plated off-road shoes are there and can you name one of them uh yes the north face okay the north face carbony carbon carbon what was that one called <laughs> that we uh, talked about on the podcast well, if we if we give you the answer then you cannot get the question right okay um starts with a v is that what that what michelle said now I have to weigh whether I have to employ my game theory skills to determine whether Michelle's actually given me a bad hint on purpose because she's trying to beat me in this game. All and right. The last thing that it is is a V. I'm going to put uh, a 15 second time limit on this. Okay. Because... Yeah, I don't remember the one by the North Bay. So, so, but, but that was one of them. Um, I think Kraft has one as well, don't they? Um, and then, so I'm going to, I'm going to guess there's a total of two carbon plated trail shoes. I think there's four. Nobody uh, asked you, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was going to accept anything from two to four for that portion of the answer. So um, I could give you half a point for that. I'll it is it. the North Face Vective. Vective. Okay. Um, there's also, I would not have come up with that. I had there's also the Speedland SLPDX, which I'm really disappointed in you for not realizing that because I sent that to you, I believe, just yesterday. It's $375. $375. We all forgot $375 trail shoe. You, you, you sent you sent that to our, the podcast text link i did i oh, did man i yeah i totally it's the, it's the celeste shoe it is it's the uh, celeste colored okay. shoe so it's like mint green got it that's right and then um the uh there it is the adidas terex agravic ultra um is also a carbon plated shoe that's out there now um that i do not recommend yet um it's it's a first run 
but we won't get into that. So half half a point there, George. So the speed totally... the Speedland SLPDX. I'm looking at the uh, the text that you sent us yesterday. It has a BOA closure, which is the same as my cycling shoes have. All yeah, right. it, you can also disassemble the shoe, pull the uh, midsole out and the carbon plate out, and and put the shoe back together. You can pull the carbon either. plate out of the shoe. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> so we, right. we will talk about that later. We will talk about all that. Right, later. All right. So uh, question number two. So, so Michelle. Michelle's winning one to one half. At one to one half. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Salomon shoes, Michelle, they have an interesting uh, way that what is, what, what is the interesting thing about how uh, Salomon, most of their trail shoes close? Let's leave it like that. What's the, what's the special thing about Salomon shoes and how they close? So the best way I could explain it I mean, they have a, a lace locker, but the lace is one continuous piece and it basically works almost in a similar way as like an infinity drawstring in a pair of shorts. You don't ever tie a bow. You just cinch it. I mean, I wear Solomon Trail. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. Yep. So, and, and, and just to tack on to that, they to have the little... But. No, uh, you're right. I should have shown you the shoe, but that kind of how many shoes? How many shoes do you wear, Michelle, where the laces are not one continuous string? I mean, this is pretty unique to Solomon. No, it's not. Every shoelaces, no. every set of shoelaces on the planet are one continuous string. No, it's a loop, George. Wait, so okay. It's so, so, the so whole. Connected? If you took if you took the lace out, it's not one long lace with two ends. It's a big loop. It's a circle. Yeah. How do they get it? How do they lace the shoe if it's only a loop? It's well, woven it's... in there and twisted each time it goes through the holes and then you cinch the top of it and you put it in the lace locker. Interesting. That is beyond the scope of the question. You got it right. <laughs> it is now two to one half. <laughs> I will add the other thing about that is when you do pull that, you get this big loop and there's nowhere to put it unless like it's Solomon, hard. they put the little pocket in the tongue that you tuck it up into. So that's pretty cool. And it, so. it's, it'll stay there forever and it doesn't come undone. It's great. Yeah. So very cool. Uh, so George, what is the typical lug size of an off-road shoe? Um, let's see. Your, your question was, because he's what is the it. typical lug size of an off-road shoe? That's mm. right. Let's see. Now, lugs... It's in millimeters. In millimeters. Um, now, lugs are the cleats that are basically on the bottom of the shoe. Yep, those. Yep, yep. I'm going to go with five millimeters. That would be the typical you're going to use. Is that your final answer? Yes, it is. Uh, that would be wrong. <laughs> 18? Five, five millimeters is pretty deep. Um, typical really? off-road shoes would come in the three to four millimeter range five is when you're really getting into those ruggedized off-road uh shoes all right i i just like to point out here that michelle gets a question about the pair of shoes that she wears <laughs> and george is going to get marked incorrect for missing it by one millimeter yep the that's width right. of your fingernail um that's that's right. You got it wrong. The thickness. Okay, just just so just, just I think the Solomon Speed Cross, um, Eric, the Solomon Speed Cross have five millimeter lugs, don't they? Yeah, and that's a I think pretty they do. serious shoe. Yeah, I can't even figure out where to wear those. I was I, I I was given a pair of those 
The only place I've ever worn them is in Pennsylvania on crazy rocks. And it was too, it was like, I was falling off the shoe, forget falling off the rocks. <laughs> well, you know, Eric, remember it talked about his, his super crazy ones. And it might've been those very ones that, it was. That, that he had never really re realized what they were for until he wore them in like the worst possible conditions on the exactly. most technical trail of all time. And he's like, Oh, this is what these are for. Um, so, yeah. All right, so uh, George, you have no hope of winning, but we'll still continue with the, the quiz because it's fun to watch George lose. Yeah, yeah, this is super fun. <laughs> so Michelle, what is the typical material that shoe companies use to waterproof a shoe? And what is the abbreviation that they use for that in the names of most of the shoes that it's in? Cortex. All right. Come and the on. abbreviation GX? GT? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> GTX, God. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. They they'll they'll uh, they'll weave. Wait, they'll, wait. They'll build. Can I get a half point for that one? I'll give you. No, a half I point. get a half point. You, you both get a half point. We'll, we'll, we'll what? give just half point. He still can't win. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this next question so brilliantly that it's gonna get me a point and a half. Just watch. All right. Yes. So a lot of shoes have Gore-Tex. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and usually the shoe's name will have GTX added to it to denote that it is the Gore-Tex version. Um, all right, George. So uh, if you're running a race and there are some water crossings and your feet might get wet, give me three major considerations that you think about. All right. Uh, one, your feet are going to be heavier because they're now waterlogged. Um, Two, you could potentially get blisters. Um, and three, uh, cold, if it can get cold. Um, those are all really good answers, and none of them have anything to do with the shoe itself. So oh, okay. I'm really well, you glad that, that you didn't say that. I was just answering the question I asked. <laughs> Every question was about shoes. So, so I just said, what are three considerations? I gave you three considerations. Okay. How well does the shoe drain? No. Yep. All right. So one would be the drainage of the shoe. Yep. All right. Um, another, another would be, uh, okay. So let me make sure I got the question right. Um, like I'm understanding what you're asking. You're saying if you, if I'm going into a race where I know there's gonna be a lot of river crossings, what sort of features should I look for in a shoe? Yes. All that's right, a much right. better wording of the question. Maybe yeah. I should have asked it like that and you could have got it right, but you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the drainage of the shoe would be one thing. Um, uh, the material of the upper would be another. Okay. Does it have Gore-Tex in it? Maybe. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, like whether the upper is waterproof. Um, and third, um, I would say the comfort of the inner liner because you could potentially not wear socks. Okay. And I would think that would link up with your last one of the temperature. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but I would also tie into that, you know, the distance of the race, because if you're running a 25 K mm -hmm. in the middle of the summer, you don't really care if your shoe is waterproof or not, because Oof. you just want the water to come out. But if it's a really cold race and you're not going to be taking your shoes off and you've got a pair of gaiters on, you want a very waterproof shoe. Um, and, and, but that waterproof shoe in the summer would just fill up with water most likely. 
<laughs> and give you the blisters that George mentioned. So I, I, I would suggest that because I answered two questions here, that, that you give me a point and a half and we just call it a tie. I'm willing to give you three quarters of a point and we'll still call it a loss. But I, I do appreciate you playing. So congratulations, Michelle. Um, you win. I mean, I can't beat George at running. So if I can beat him at a quiz about shoes, I'm good for that. <laughs> okay. So, so just a funny way to bring up some of the things we're going to talk about. I, I want to I just quickly say when you're looking at a road shoe, which most people who listen to podcasts probably have a couple pairs or more road shoes, they probably bought road shoes their whole life. Um, you're not looking for the same qualities. And in a road shoe, you're typically running on a fairly um, uniform surface. You're probably not changing directions rapidly. Um, you're, you've probably got a, a defined uphill and downhill and maybe curve radius that you should that you're really going to see. So from a grip point uh, standpoint, you, you can get away with some of these new shoes that we see out there, especially these new race shoes where 50% of the bottom of the shoe doesn't have rubber on it. And the rubber that's on the bottom of the shoe is a couple millimeters thick at most. Um, and we've seen that in all of the new race shoes that come out in that little piece that fell off of uh, Lee's Vaporflies when I was running in them. It's just not a lot of rubber on the bottom of the shoe. Um, but when you look at an off-road shoe, the most visible difference is probably the outer. Um, and it's because of the different use. Uh, on an off-road course, you typically have rocks. We talked about you have water crossings. We talked about um, the just the, the protective aspect of like your 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 foot is going to get put off camber. You're going to be going downhill hard and fast and possibly jamming your foot into the front of the shoe. So the shoe just has to be built differently. So that's kind of sets us up for the entire discussion. Um, so um, in that outer, some of the things that you're going to hear about is the different types of rubber. And most of the shoes, I have five examples right here. Most of the shoes, they have 100% rubber coverage on the bottom of the shoe. I know you can't see this because I'm showing it in the camera to George and Michelle, but most off-road shoes have 100% uh, rubber outer coverage. And then they start talking about the different types of uh, material that they have on the bottom. It might have butyl rubber. I don't know if anybody's heard of BJ's. It's a kind of a, a niche brand, but they talk about they're the most, they have the best traction in the world in their shoes and it's all butyl rubber. So it's very soft rubber. Um, and that's the kind of stuff you're gonna see in, in the outer. Another thing you're gonna see is the shapes of the lugs. Um, the lugs aren't just deep. They're, they have typically a V shape of some short, some sort. And if you've ever looked at the bottom of the shoe closely, you'll notice the lugs in the back of the shoe are actually pointed to the back and the lugs on the front of the shoe are pointed to the front. And that comes down to that. If I'm going downhill, I need those V's to be gripping and slowing me down. And if I'm going uphill, I need those V's to be gripping and powering me up the hill. So just some of those things you're gonna see on the outer of the shoe. So the, the, the what was that called, VJs? VJs, that's correct. And, Literally, and, that, and that refers v. to the shape of the lug. The, the letter V and the letter J. Okay, gotcha. And they have the butyl rubber lugs on the bottom. It's a special type of fairly robust, but soft and sticky rubber. Gotcha. 
Um, when you move into the midsole, so, you know, the midsole is where your cushioning is. It's where in uh, many off-road shoes like the, um, the ultra lone peak that I have here, uh, you might have something called a rock plate. So George, why yes. would I want a rock plate in my shoe? So to protect you from the rocky trails and keep them from breaking your feet when you step on them. Yeah. And, and why would I not have a rock plate in a shoe? Why would I say I don't want to have that rock plate? Because we've actually had this conversation before. So we have because one, it makes the shoe heavier. Two, it makes the shoe stiffer. Um, and if you're not really in a place or on a trail that, that necessitates a rock plate, then you, you probably don't want it. That's right. And that's that's a big consideration. If it's a gravel race, you know, that it, surfaces can be gravel. If you're on sand, you really don't care about that rock plate. Um, I have found it interesting that the shoes... Uh, that have the carbon plates, they typically dual duty that carbon plate as the rock plate and um, either the stability piece or the shock absorption piece that works with the, the, rest, of the, um, the rest of the midsole. So uh, I found that kind of interesting because I, I didn't think those carbon plates would be as, as sturdy as most rock plates. So I looked right. into that a little bit and the interesting thing is rock plates really aren't that sturdy. It's really just a thin piece of plastic uh, meshed into that uh, midsole. Okay. So that, that makes me wonder. So speaking of rock plates, so if they're using plates that presumably are, are doing something having to do with efficiency or promoting efficiency, if they're using that plate to also serve as a rock plate, does that mean that potentially a rock plate can also serve as double duty for uh, an efficiency promotion mechanism? Do you see what I'm saying? So like all, cause for all these years, trail shoes have had rock plates in them before we were putting plates in like road shoes and super shoes and all that sort of thing have, have, has the trail world inadvertently been promoting efficiency over the long haul by putting rock plates in shoes. And we didn't even know it. No, I think I kind of just touched on that without actually saying it the way you just said it, the, the plastic that's in the front of most shoes as a rock plate is more like what you get on your milk carton. Okay. It's like a milk carton type material, like your gallon milk jug. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not very thick. It's not very, it, it, it is more of a, it's, it's more of a blunting instrument. So something that's pointy gets blunted as it comes up into the shoe, then a stiff carbon fiber plate that's providing some shock absorptions uh, slash energy return or rigidity. Gotcha. So gotcha. you could okay. say that they have had plated shoes in the off-road world for a while, but I don't think that they were an efficiency piece. <laughs> so that's just something to think about. Uh, one other thing you'll notice on almost all off-road shoes, the midsole, the midsole outer is the shape. Um, they're more snowshoe-ish. They're, they're wider, most of them. And the reason for that is that stability piece of your foot is not landing on that nice flat surface. Um, that a road shoe would typically land on and you want a little bit more snowshoe to uh, right the shoe as you come down on it and um, what you'll real when you'll really notice that and you'll really get annoyed by that is in the short road section that might be in a um, in an off-road race uh, where those big lugs and the outsole and that big wide uh, last of the shoe uh, turns your nice, efficient road running style into a slap, 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 kind of flopping down the road. And it almost feels like you're running in flip-flops. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I, I ran a trail race um, a couple of years ago um, and, uh, and 
was running with a friend of mine for most of the race. It was a 50 K. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, kind of started getting a little bit away from him over the course of the last several miles or the back half of the race. And then the last four miles of the race were on the road and he was wearing a pair of trail shoes and I was wearing a pair of just road shoes. I wasn't wearing trail shoes. Um, and, uh, I sped up a lot as soon as we hit the road and he slowed down a lot as soon as we hit the road. <laughs> and I ended up beating him by several minutes because his, his trail shoes, while they were fine for the trail, were not in any way appropriate for the road. Right. Uh, isn't this the struggle for jfk 50 yeah it's exactly the struggle for jfk 50 so jfk 50 which we've talked about many times is a big bucket list list race for me um is it's the oldest and largest ultra marathon in the united states it's always held right around thanksgiving it was held just a couple weeks ago um and uh it has the first 17 miles are fairly technical on the appalachian trail then the next 26.3 miles are on the CNO trail, um, which is flat and fast, but not paved. Um, and then the last eight plus miles are rolling on the road. So what pair of shoes do you choose for that? And <laughs> what pair of shoes would you have chosen when you were going to run it or you never decided you had I'm, never, I never decided. I've never, yeah. I've never gotten, I've signed up for it three times. I've never gotten close enough to actually run it. Um, close enough to running it to actually get down the shoes. I mean, Eric, I think that's a common, you know, a common concern, at least around here is a lot of times you're splitting uh, trail to road, or there's, you know, a few miles of a road section to connect a trail to a trail. So if somebody is, you know, going out and they're going to go on a trail run, but they've got a big road, a big road section, like, what do you recommend for that? That's an excellent question. Um, there's only one shoe so far that I've found is, is, well, there's two shoes that I think are competent at. There's only one shoe that I've actually found comfortable running in it. And the unfortunate thing is that's the only thing I like about this shoe. Um, the on cloud ultra, um, off-road, I feel like I'm going to break my ankle every time I run in them because they've got these really thin laces and it's very difficult to get the shoe cinched down. Right. And it also has a sock fit. And as you cinch the shoe down, the sock doesn't cinch down with it because it's like this thick sock fit tongue. So it's hard to get that shoe tight enough to where it's not rolling on your foot as you hit things. So your foot comes down and the shoe kind of rolls up a little bit. So I haven't really liked it off-road, but when Grace and I do gravel road runs in Duke Forest or something like that, that shoe almost feels just like a road shoe when you hit the road. And that's something that Grace and I have consistently agreed about with that shoe is you can run fairly good trail as long as it's not rocky, you know, twist, twist your ankle type stuff. You can run gravel and you can run road in that shoe and feel pretty confident about it and feel pretty fast. Um, the other shoe that I've used that I'd, I'd say is competent is the, the, uh, Hoka speed goat. Um, it's not my favorite. I wouldn't choose to run on the road with that shoe, but it is competent. It'll, it'll run on the road. So, but it's, 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 that's a tough consideration. I can tell you what you don't do is you don't run in a five millimeter lug shoe <laughs> six miles, right. but George, to the point about the JFK 50, I believe the, everything I've read is they typically run in a stout road shoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what because of that last section. Yeah. The guy who won three years ago wore vapor flies. Okay, maybe not a stout road. Yeah, shoe. right. I was say, is that um, stout? So that was that was I, I. It was not. Let's see. It would have been the 2019 champion War Vapor okay. Flies. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. What I would suggest. So I also think that the the 
uh, Nike Pegasus trail oh, yeah. um, transitions right. well between trail and road. Um, um, and so that probably would have been the shoe that I ultimately wore, even though I don't like that shoe for a lot of other reasons, not the least of which is it's made by Nike. Um, but what I would suggest is that you get the, the Speedland SL PDX that we were talking about before. And like you said, you can like take pieces out and put pieces in. <laughs> and so, so you just like get to the section of the trail where you need to put the plate in, you put it in. Um, where you need to change the liner, you change the liner. There you go. It's just like fully customizable on the run, literally. Moving, moving right along. <laughs> Great question, Michelle. Thank you. And I, I agree the uh, Pegasus Trail is probably a good a good shoe. Born on the road, uh, moved to the trail. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe a lot of those shoes, you know, maybe shoes that have a road heritage that were made into a trail shoe are, are a good one for that, except for the in, endorphin road, trail shoe, because from what I heard, that was complete trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so next piece of gear, something on the shoes that you'll see, you'll hear the, the words toe guard. Uh, it's exactly what it's, you know, the name implies. It's, it's basically a little extra material that's around the front of the toe to protect your toe when you smash into things and to protect actually the upper of the shoe when your toe smashes into things. And it will. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the sizing techniques for off-road shoes is that you get a shoe that has a little more room in the front because when you're going downhill, uh, you're going to be slamming your foot to the front of the shoe. Um, but another consideration for that is when you hit something hard, you don't want to have your foot actually sitting right on the edge of the shoe. So a toe guard is something you'll hear about, and it is an important piece of the shoe. It's not on every off-road shoe. Uh, some off-road shoes have literally rubber wrapping around the front of the shoe. Most of them have a little bit of added, uh, added material. Um, all right. So moving along, if kind of working our way up to the shoe to like the tongue and how the sock fit works. Um, you'll hear a lot of stuff for um, a lot of stuff about uh, gusseted, fully gusseted uh, shoe or tongues. You'll hear just a standard tongue and then you'll hear a, a full sock fit. I mentioned the Cloud Ultra has a sock fit. So you're literally, you know, fitting your foot into like a fully uh, sock-like enclosure. Uh, the GTX, I'm sorry, the Speed Solomon Speed Cross GTX has a little bit of both. It has a it has a tongue that is not gusseted at all, but then the top of the shoe actually uh, connects to itself. So it's it's for water shedding mostly. Um, and then you have shoes that have just a typical tongue. What you will notice about most off-road shoes is that tongue is a little thicker. Um, it has a little more cushion in it. And that's personally, I think that's to be able to snug the shoe down a little bit more. So your foot's not moving around in it, even though you have a little bit of example, or, or sorry, a little bit of extra room up in the front. Um, okay. Lacing systems. So George mentioned uh, the BOA system. So Michelle, what's the BOA system? Got a bunch of cool clips. <laughs> <laughs> What's the key to the BOA system, though? Do you say cool clips or cool clicks? I mean, kind of both. Kind of both, yeah. <laughs> so, Michelle, how does a BOA system work, and why would I ask you specifically about that? I actually don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you would ask. I don't know why you would ask me. I think I think that deserves a subtraction of pointage for <laughs> uh, our competition from earlier, which should bring I mean, her down to, be, to about two points. I the system is on is like my spin shoes, probably more than it's on more running shoes. And, and so I asked you not about your spin shoes, but 
ski ski bindings um, yeah. have BOA enclosures. And that's why I asked you about that. Got so this is, a, this is a technology that's coming into off-road shoes. I mentioned the Speedland uh, uh, SLPDX shoe. It actually has these BOA enclosures. And if you're familiar with the skiing version or cycling shoes, uh, you get micro adjustments there. So you can micro adjust that lace without untying it and retying it and pushing, you know, doing all the crazy things you have to do with laces. And the cool thing about that Speedland shoe is you can micro adjust it in both directions. Uh, most BOA systems, you have to pull the little, uh, pull the little rotating cup up, undo it all the way, and then re-tighten it. Um, right. But that Speedland shoe for $375 allows you to adjust it in both directions. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a good $275 worth right there. I think so. I think so. But it's, but the shoe is 375, George, not 275. That's right. Well, it's $100 for everything else. <laughs> <laughs> but you can get just normal laces on a shoe. Um, you can get the, the Solomon, uh, as Michelle described it earlier, the, with the, the tie, what do you, what'd you call it? The, the shoe locker. A lace locker, locker. Lace, locker. lace locker, right? The lace, lace locker. locker. Yeah. Um, what I do not recommend, and I'm going to go back to that on cloud ultra is a narrow, um, almost like a dress shoe lace. You just can't get the purchase on those that you need. And if you ever do have to adjust your shoe during a race, it is nice to have thick laces, um, and off-road races, especially in cold ones, because it is very difficult to try to get your fingers down there and operate a small, small lace. Um, you know, we, we talked already, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the upper, but we talked about that already. Um, when you consider the different types of uh, running, you're going to do, do you need a Gore-Tex upper? Do you want a breathable upper? Um, is this, is this a, a rugged shoe where the shoe needs to be protected from the elements or the implements, the, the rocks and whatnot out there? Uh, or are you just trying to get through there as fast as possible? Like we talked about with the JFK 50 and you can just throw on a pair of, you know, flying at vapor flies. Um, what you'll typically see in the uh, off-road shoe is something more stout, something that's going to lock your foot in uh, to deal with all that off-camber running up and down, left and right. Um, and you just have to look at the course that you're going to be on or the types of terrain you're going to run on and figure out what kind of upper you want to wear. Typically, though, I think you're going to need a winter shoe and a summer shoe. Um, I have a pair of Hoka uh excuse me, Speedgoat GTXs, the Gore-Tex versions, and you cannot wear those in the summer. And then I have a pair of normal uh, Speedgoats that you can, you can wear summer, fall, spring, uh, as long as it's not raining really hard. Um, you, and, you, and you say you can't wear them in the summer because they're just too hot? or They're, they're hot. and oh, they're, they're so hot and heavy. They're hot, they're heavy, and they just, they hold water. Okay, so, so, so like, so like the sweat runs sweat. down your leg and stays in the shoe. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. They, yeah. they do not drain very well. Okay. And based on their design, I would wear them if it's a rainy cold race and I don't want my feet to ever get wet. So, um, you know, and then there's all these bits and bottles that also, also come on the shoes. We mentioned the gator catches. Not every shoe has that. Some of them have a little clip on the, on the, the end of the laces for the front part of the gator. Uh, some don't, and they say, just clip it into the lace, um, on, the cloud ultras have a little release mechanism on the front of the shoe where you can uh, flip it. It's part of the lacing system and you can flip this over and actually widens the toe box uh, without having to, to uh, relace or unlace the shoe at all. Um, 
we talked about the Solomon tongue pocket. Um, and then we talked about the plates that are now working their way into shoes, the carbon plates that are now working their ways. Into okay. Shoes. So tell me this, Eric, um, and just all of those things you just described, the tongue pocket and the, the, all the, this different, why is it that there seems to be so many more gadgets or so many, and I don't want to say the word gimmicks because I do think they serve a purpose, but why is it that there are so many like tricks in trail shoes and there aren't in road shoes? Of Wait. course there are in road shoes. I mean, are there? I mean, what are there in road? I mean, you have plated shoes now, but that's only a recent phenomenon. Um, I think it comes you, down you, to you, you, don't, you don't buy a pair of road shoes that has a tongue pocket. Or, or a boa enclosure system. Right. I think it comes down to weight. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a perception in the road shoe, um, you know, in a road shoe, it needs to be light. Mm-hmm. And there's, there is more wiggle room when your shoe weighs 10 ounces mm-hmm. to add a little piece of plastic that might make a difference in uh, the performance of the shoe, the fit of the shoe, the comfort of the shoe. The, mm-hmm. I mean, I've always thought of it as your foot really does need a little bit more protection typically on a trail. Mm-hmm. Rugged, technical, rocky, slippery, you could go through water. I mean, you don't come across all, a lot of that on the road. <laughs> like your feet might, the worst it might get is it's summer here and your shoes, you know, are carrying several ounces of sweat, but they're probably not going to come off your feet or you're probably not going to slip on rocks or, you know, the trail shoe needs more to it. So, so well, definitely I, I, I get that from a trail shoe, like the beefiness of the shoe point of view. I understand that from that point of view, but it's the actual it's the gadgets that I think are interesting. Um, and, 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 and I think you're right, Eric, that, that um, because if people are like, well, screw it, we're already at 12 ounces, we might as well make it 13 because people are going to write us <laughs> off anyway. Um, you know, if, if, if you're there, whereas in a road shoe, they're like, well, you know, somebody like me is looking at the difference between a, a, a seven ounce shoe and a nine ounce shoe and thinking that that's like, you know, profound. Um, and so, so I, I, I think you're right about that. Um, but I just think it's interesting that, that while we do get gimmicky when it comes to plates these days in, in road shoes, I, I kind of feel like that's it. Um, just in terms of, the, like you said, like the enclosures and all those different other things you just talked about and the upper materials and those sorts of things, they just don't feel as gimmicky. But, well, I think it comes down to the variability of the off-road mm-hmm. yeah. running experience too. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before. I have, I literally have four pairs of running shoes sitting right here. And I would choose those shoes based on the race, mm-hmm. right? If I'm running the, the Southern tour ultra, which is fairly flat, it's run on fire roads, but there's a, there's one section that goes through uh, the sound and you get, you know, sand and seawater in your shoes. Well, I'm not going to wear the same shoe for that, that I'm going to wear for the, the hundred mile race out in South Dakota in the black Hills that's got eight water crossings right. and you're going over right. rocks and it's no fire roads. Right. You know, and yeah, then ro- ro- road races, road races tend to be more uniform because roads tend, tend to be more uniform. And so therefore yeah, they, road shoes tend to be more uniform. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. So what you're also telling me is that if, if I got into trail racing, I would have, an obscene amount of shoes. 
you guys have seen my my closet setup because i because i because i run i I've, I've never done a target race on trails i've raced on trails a lot um, and, but I normally just go ahead and wear road shoes. But if I really got into a bunch of different trails and a bunch of different trail races, different types of trails and start really digging in, I would have to, I would have to, and I, I say that purposely, I, I would have, have to, to get a wide to. variety of different shoes in order to match all these different conditions rather than merely having, you know, six pairs of, of road shoes just for varying speeds. Hmm. All right. That, that does make trails seem far more alluring. <laughs> I think you can have more shoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What else, Eric? I feel like you I feel like you've covered it all, man. I feel like you you gave us all the various pieces that we need to be taken into account when we're looking at trail shoes. And we we had a nice little conversation about some of the differences between trail and road, right? Yeah, I think and I think that's the key is to understand the differences and to understand why you sh you should consider getting a trail shoe if you're going to run on the trails. If it's not a tame trail, you could be putting yourself in a situation where you've got the wrong footwear on and you can hurt yourself. Right so, uh, you know, especially if you're someone who runs on the road a lot and you want to try out a trail run, mm -hmm. really consider whether or not you should have a trail shoe mm -hmm. or, or at least take it easy when you get out there. Because the last thing you want to do is be an inexperienced trail runner, go out in the fall on a North Carolina or a Georgia mountain trail that's covered with leaves and pull a Lee Ragsdale <laughs> and roll your ankle. Um, and, and, and at the same time, I'll also say um, that some trails, and this is, you know, one of the themes that's emerged here, some trails are far more technical than others. Yes. Um, and so, so you can definitely run on a trail and using air quotes there. Um, you can run on a trail that, that is not as technical. That's basically as smooth as a road. Um, but it just is not pavement. Um, right. and so, um, so it, so it pays to look trail? into what the technical level of the trail actually is. Don't you guys have those, uh, the comet trail? Is yeah. that a cinder? So, so the, so the silver comet trail is a paved trail. Oh, it's um, paved. Okay. It, it is paved, but like the trails that are by the river over near where Michelle grew up. Um, those are, those are not paved trails. Those are, those are crushed gravel trails. Um, and so, you know, they're not too bad. Kennesaw mountain, right where I live, where you know, I literally run out my front so door, bad. um, are not so bad. They're not so technical. They're trails for sure. You're not touching the road except you're, unless you're crossing. Um, but, but they're, they're not something that requires the most technical of trail shoes, um, no, by any stretch. I would agree. I've um, run in both of those locations and I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Final word from Michelle. Um, <laughs> well, I ran on the trails this weekend for the first time in gosh, probably six months. So mm. I put my Solomon shoes back on, took them out from their place in the garage. I don't really have a good final word that snuck up on me. It's, it's, hey, good, it's, a... it's good that you, you pulled out your Solomon shoes for the first time in a little while, because that put them in the front of your mind quiz. so that you could answer the quiz correctly and get the W. Right. Um, and I'm um, shocked, by the way, that your last word doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you won the quiz. But, you know, okay. maybe you're well, not as petty as I thought. I get to, like, hold that title forever because I don't know <laughs> that we're going to have another quiz. But I will just say um, the uh, half marathon championships are this weekend. So right. that'll be exciting to watch. And CIM is also this weekend. So right. I think for the elite field and, and CIM and the, uh, you know, USATF half marathon championships, it kind of pulled from 
maybe people that would have been at CIM are going to go try to run a sanctioned race and win a national title, but it should be interesting to see. I think that's kind of winding it down for the year, uh, those two races this weekend. So I'm yep, excited yep. to watch. Tune, tune um, in next week. We will talk about those races and we'll have another quiz. Um, <laughs> Eric, last word. <laughs> uh, I just want to give a shout out to James. Uh, James, my runner, he's running the Raleigh half marathon this weekend. Awesome. So while we're doing the jingle bell run, he's going to be out there running a half marathon. Uh, just uh, wish him, wish him the best of luck. Awesome. Awesome. Justin Smith, a friend of the podcast is running California national this weekend. So good luck to him as well. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thanks, George. Thanks, Michelle. Have a good night, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.